One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And it's Courtney's night. It is my night. It is. I claim tonight my night. And it is also the night that I'm going to tell you the tale of the tragic life and death of Nancy Spungen. Mm, the name's familiar. Yes, you will know who you everyone knows who Nancy Spungen is. They just don't know that they know who Nancy mm-hmm. Spungen is. So Nancy Laura Spungen was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on February 27, 1958, and her parents were Frank and Deborah Spungen. She was born with cenosis after she was born with her cord wrapped around her neck, which deprived her of oxygen. Her mother, Debbie, wrote a book called And I Don't Want to Live in This Life, a mother's story of her daughter's murder, which I highly recommend reading, highly recommend reading. And she described how she was sedated for the entire birth. And when she woke up, Nancy was nowhere to be found. Mm, Man. Yep. The doctor explained that she had been born with cenosis, but they weren't too concerned about it. What they were concerned about, however, was that she was jaundiced because of an ABO incompatibility, which happens when the mother's blood type is O and the baby's is A or B which causes the mother's immune system to react and make antibodies against the baby's red blood cells. What year was this again? 58. 58. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you get shots for that now. I was going to say, yeah, she did not get a shot. <laughs> but uh, the treatment at the time for ABO incompatibility uh, was to completely change Nancy's blood through a series of transfusions. Wow. The transfusions were conducted, and the doctor said after, quote, that's some kind of fighter you have. She screamed and kicked so much I had to tie her down. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. First time I've ever had to tie a baby down for that procedure. Mm. Nancy's mother didn't get to hold her until she was four days old. Man. In the meantime, she watched her child scream and kick from the other side of glass as nurses tried unsuccessfully to calm her down and feed her. Luckily, Nancy responded perfectly to the transfusions and treatments and was able to go home eight days after she was born. Unfortunately, the trouble for Nancy and her family had just begun, and she essentially cried night and day nonstop from the moment she got home. 
Debbie tried switching her to formula when a doctor said she wasn't getting enough to eat. She tried letting her cry it out when another doctor said she was spoiling her. But Nancy just cried and cried and cried. Oh, Nancy, everybody. This story is so, so heartbreaking. Eventually, a doctor prescribed Nancy liquid phenobarbital to help her sleep, which is a barbiturate. The baby. She was three months old, and her doctor prescribed her phenobarbital. I'm speechless. I know. Debbie was instructed to give it to her every four hours, which she did when Nancy woke up screaming. Every four hours around the clock? I think starting at bedtime. So she said she would give it to her and she would scream for about 20 minutes and then she would fall asleep for about two hours. And she gave it to her every four hours, like to try to get her to sleep throughout the day. Wow. That's so intense. Despite being on a barbiturate as a baby, Nancy was extremely bright and could speak before she was a year old and also crawled around constantly when she was awake. At one point, she had to wear a splint because her legs were growing abnormally, and her mother said she just dragged it behind her. (laughs) Nancy started to stiffen up when Debbie held her and would throw massive fits when upset. She was also starting to show signs of physical impairment, like one of her eyes crossing and her tongue not being able to stay in her mouth. The doctor said that both were signs of a neurological impairment, but he wasn't worried about it because she was so smart. To help with the fits that she was throwing, he decided to increase her phenobarbital dosage. Um, okay, so there are other things that happen to people besides being smart. Can we just yep. talk about that really quickly? Yes. Like, you're not just okay if you're smart. Yep. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Well, here's but some in... more baby barbiturates. Yeah. It's 1958, and she was had an extremely traumatic birth and probably suffered some brain damage, right? All the doctors mm-hmm. sort of agreed. Yeah, if you are deprived of oxygen, there's likely some brain damage. And these things are signs of that. They all mm-hmm. agree. But she's fine because she's super smart. Mm-hmm. So we'll just like wait it out and here's some more phenobarbital. Right. Well, that was the time that they would put the moms to like twilight sleep, which was yeah. terrifying yes. and awful and literally yeah. take the baby from the mom with forceps and shit. It was awful. And that's exactly what she said. She went into her twilight sleep and she has these little snaps of waking up and seeing her husband smiling at her, you know, and then she wakes up again and the doctor's there and you know or she she wakes up again and her husband's there and he's like okay i'm gonna go to you know go home now i've been here the baby's okay you know didn't even tell her that nancy was jaundiced and Mm -hmm. had to have her blood replaced yeah so nancy also developed a stutter through near constant tantrums to the point where she would pass out from hyperventilating Mm -hmm. and by the time she was two she was openly threatening violence against her mother Mm, wow she said that she had a there was a time, I can't remember what, you know, Nancy wanted to go outside, like, right now. And she was like, okay, in 10 minutes, I'm, you know, I need to finish making this bed. And Nancy was like, no, now. And she said, you know, we, I need you to wait. Well, we will go outside, but I need you to wait. And she said, Nancy said, if you don't take me outside right now, I'm going to take your orange blouse and your green lace dress. And, your, and she proceeded to list every single item of clothing that Debbie had in her closet. 
like from memory. <laughs> okay. And then say, and I'm going to take them out into the street and throw them in the road so that a truck will run them over. And she was like, no, we're not going to do that. And Nancy said, mom, if you don't take me outside right now, I'm going to take your orange blouse and your green blouse. <laughs> and like, did it again? went through the entire closet from memory wow. again. Wow. Wow. Yes. Wow. At two, she was two years old. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> She had violently recurring nightmares, and many times she said in her nightmares a rabbit bit her, and she was so convinced that the rabbit had actually bitten her, she would make her mother keep the place where she had been bitten bandaged at all times. So she, her mom would say, okay, it's time for a bath, let's take the band-aid off, and she would make her put it back on, because she was like, no, that's where the rabbit bit me. Mm. And so you have these sort of like waking kind of semi-hallucinations. Debbie and Frank had a second child, a daughter named Susie, and Nancy was not having it. She would throw massive fits about her baby sister and would violently shove Susie anytime she tried to stand up or walk. To make matters even more complicated, Debbie soon learned that she was pregnant with her third child, mm. <laughs> a son named David. But luckily, Nancy took to David and was very caring and affectionate with him. Nancy's outbursts and tantrums persisted, however, and Debbie finally sought the help of a child psychiatrist who said that at three and a half years old, Nancy had the IQ of a first grader and explained that she was a little under-coordinated and had motor visual problems, so was likely feeling really frustrated because her brain was working much faster than her body, mm -hmm. but that they would catch up with each other so there was nothing to worry about. Yeah, And I've Nancy... Go ahead. Oh, just I've I've read a book before about kids that have their intelligence is higher than like their intellect is right. higher than their emotional intelligence. My yep. oldest is like that and how hard it is when you can think the big thoughts, but you can't, your feelings don't come along with it. Yep. You know, so of course you wouldn't talk about that in the 50s or 60s for a child. Right, right. You know, like her, her physical everybody would expect her physical abilities to be behind as a child, but they don't, they don't talk about how her emotional intelligence is way behind, but her, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. Like her intellect, her, her yeah. other intelligence is much more advanced, Higher. but it makes it even harder for her because she doesn't have the emotional intelligence to deal with her thoughts. Absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm assuming that part of her brain was damaged. So she would never mm -hmm. get that part of her brain, you know, mm -hmm. that part of her development. Um, and so it's just sort of constant state of frustration. She knew what she wanted. She, you know, and she was very expressive in and very like, I mean, again, you should read the book because it's absolutely heartbreaking, but it's beautifully written. And she goes through that exactly that you know her constant conflict within her own self too mm -hmm. between you know being afraid but wanting something but also you know like at one point she didn't want to leave because david was sick her little brother and she didn't she like she wanted to go to the circus and so her dad was going to take her but then she kept saying it's too far from home it's too far from home you know so mm. and just throwing these like wild crazy fits about it and that was actually how that instance was how Debbie convinced Frank to let them take Nancy to the to the psychiatrist because he was always at work and hadn't really seen like the extent of her mania, you know, mm -hmm. and like her. And so he was like, whoa, you know, that's in so intense. <laughs> like mm -hmm. She's three and a half. And that was a lot. So they took her to the doctor and she actually did 
um, calmed down and got better for a while, which is a total pattern in Nancy's life. Like she did have lots of times throughout her life where she would kind of get her shit together and get on track for a spell. So Nancy did very well in kindergarten and first grade. And they think it's probably because she was stimulated enough for a while, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But by the time she reached second grade, she developed an insatiable mean streak and was very abusive and manipulative, especially to her siblings, who were extremely well-behaved children. As Nancy got older, she developed a near obsession with rock and roll music, and it was one of the only things that would calm her down and keep her attention. When she was 10 years old, she was reading Sylvia Plath, Ken Kesey, and Rolling Stone magazine, and she became totally preoccupied with the protesters of the Vietnam War. At one point, Debbie brought home some saran wrap, which was owned by Dow Chemicals, who manufactured napalm. Oh, God. And Nancy staged an actual protest of her own mother in their front yard (laughs) when Debbie refused to return the saran wrap. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. Yep. She, like, got a poster board and, like, wrote signs and brought her siblings outside and protested (laughs) her mother. (laughs) And when her siblings got tired and went inside, she called them establishment pigs and sellouts. (laughs) She was my hero. That's incredible. Yes. You'll understand why I wanted to tell this story when we get to the part where you'll be like, oh, that's who this person is. But I really, really wanted to. It like makes me tear up. I just have such a soft spot for her. I really wanted to show the person that she was, and I'm mm-hmm. so glad her mother wrote the book because it gave like gave me an opportunity to get to know her and like what her family went through. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I just have to say, as a mom, that if my kids protest me at one point, I know that I have arrived. Like, that would <laughs> right. be the highlight of my yes. mothering career. Like, <laughs> okay, I have done well. <laughs> at 10 years old. (laughs) So Nancy's behavior continued to escalate. So they had her evaluated again. And Nancy entered intensive therapy and group therapy, as did Debbie and Frank. So everybody kept blaming the family, you know, Mm -hmm. like this was the reoccurring um, experience Debbie had when trying to get help for her daughter. Uh, But the therapy did not help. One time, Nancy had to take antibiotics, and her mother found her hallucinating, ripping mm. her hair out, and smashing her head against the wall. And when she tried to calm her down, she trashed her room. She would enter strange trances that seemed like seizures, and they were usually followed by what I would basically call demonic behavior, where she would harm herself or others or just get really, really cruel. Mm. And I don't know if it was confirmed that she was having seizures, but my guess is that she was probably having seizures. So eventually Debbie and Frank had exhausted all of their resources to help Nancy on their own and sent her to a boarding school where she seemed to improve quite a bit in her first year. During her second year, however, several changes to the school and her main caregivers caused her behavior to regress. She started cutting herself when she didn't get her way, She ran away from school, started using drugs when she was 14, and at one point she stole her mother's wedding ring and some other jewelry to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. She started dating boys in bands, tattooing herself with needles, running away from school for days at a time, and at 15 she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And 
she was diagnosed by this doctor and her parents wanted to bring her to get treatment by this doctor. He was like, I want to remove sugar from her diet. You know, he had had good success um, treating people with what he thought was schizophrenia, but the school would not release her and hold her spot to receive treatment from him because they had had another student that had gone to see him. So I, I like really wonder if they had if she had gotten treatment from this doctor, if maybe things would have improved, mm -hmm. but she was not able to. So she tried to kill herself on a couple of occasions and her behavior was so severe, her boarding school graduated her at age 16. They were like, she's good. She's Goodbye. smart enough. Bye. <laughs> yeah. They tried to graduate her at 15 and her parents were like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. So they were like, all right, we'll keep her for one more year. So despite her severe behavioral problems and drug use, she scored a 1030 on her SATs and got accepted to the University of Colorado. She was so excited to start life over in Colorado, but she couldn't outrun her issues. And within the first semester, she was arrested for buying weed. Soon after, she was arrested for storing stolen property in her dorm, and her father took a plea deal for her charges, and she was banned from the state of Colorado for life and was expelled from school. Oh. Which is kind of a hell of a feat, man. Wow. <laughs> yes. Banned from the whole state. For life. Yeah. They're like, yep, she can get off, she can go home, but she can never come, come back, back here. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So once she was back home, she set her sights on the only thing she really seemed to love in the world, which was rock and roll music. She managed to get backstage at all of the big concerts that came through town and bragged to her sister and friend about all of the band members she slept with. One time she bragged that she slept with all of the members of Bad Company and <laughs> said that they gave her a commemorative poster to thank her. Said something like, does your mother know that you're in bad company? <laughs> uh, I've, I've, have, I have figured out who Nancy Spurgeon is. <laughs> I know why I know the name now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Spongin. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She also claimed to have slept with all of the members of Aerosmith after which two of the members said they wanted to set her on fire and throw her out of the hotel window, and she agreed, saying oh. it would be a good way to die. Oh, good. Yep. Aerosmith did not set Nancy on fire or throw her out of the window after all. That's good news. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When she was 17, she started inviting bands to her parents' house, and they would come home to find British rockers swimming naked in the pool and chain-smoking cigarettes in Nancy's room while listening to records. Like, what do you do with that? I what don't do you know. do with her? Well, I'll tell you what they did with her, but yeah, what would you do if you came home and there was just an entire rock band, like, eating your sandwiches and... Like chain smoking in your teenager's bedroom right i mean again part of me would be thrilled right another part of me would be horrified yeah 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 so it became too much for the family and so nancy's parents offered to help her find a place in new york city and agreed to pay six months rent while she got on her feet wow yep nancy soon fell on hard times started doing heroin stripping and doing sex work and working in clothing shops to get by. 
Eventually, though, she made a place for herself in the up-and-coming punk scene and befriended groups like Blondie, the Ramones, and the New York Dolls, and started writing articles for a paper in Greenwich Village. She continued to struggle with heroin use, but managed to eventually wean herself off with the help of daily methadone, and by February of 1977, she had cleaned herself up and decided to start a new life in London, which was the heart of the punk scene at the time. Her parents supported her choice and bought her a ticket to start her new life. And I gotta say too, I mean, Debbie is so insightful and she really talks about her thought process and what led them to make the decisions that they made. But they, pretty soon in her life, you know, when she was a teenager, they were like, you know, Debbie's like, there was a moment where she said, she knew she said, my daughter, I'm going to outlive my daughter. You know, I know that this, mm-hmm. her life is short. I know, you know, there is nothing I can do for this kid. And, you know, she goes through what that means to come to terms with something like that. And so then just continuing to try to help her be happy and try to make good decisions for herself, you know, and knowing that she's not going to survive in typical society you know, so they're like, let's try New York City. That's where rock and roll is, you know, things like that. So Nancy immediately took to life in London. And one week after she'd moved there, she called her mother and excitedly reported that she'd met the bass player and co-vocalist of the biggest punk band <laughs> in England. His name was Sid Vicious, and he was in the Sex Pistols. A week after that, it seemed she was back on heroin. That so would do I it. didn't. Yep, that would do it. I didn't know this, but Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaurin had a clothing boutique that sold clothing inspired by toys and clothes that you'd buy at a sex shop, which makes sense. That's where the punk aesthetic came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and McLaurin essentially teamed up with the Sex Pistols. So they were a band before they were teenagers, and they had this sort of loose band, I think, called the Stand. And he basically like tracked them down and hired them and was like, I want you guys to wear my clothes. Mm -hmm. So they were just teenagers. Um, He wanted to promote his clothing line and jump on the punk craze coming out of New York. So he roped them in. (laughs) I also knew the Sex Pistols were short lived, but they were only a band for two years. And even though they signed $2 million in contracts, they only recorded two albums and they played out less than 50 times. Really? Yep. They wow. burnt out so hot and fast. I know. Isn't that remarkable? Mm-hmm. That Sid such could... a mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. In such a short amount of time. So Sid Vicious also wasn't a part of the original lineup and was a childhood friend of John Lyman. When the original bass player dropped out, McLaurin gave Sid the job despite the fact that he had no idea how to play bass. Nancy's mom said that the first time she saw him on TV, she thought, quote, he was extremely tall, pale, and cadaverous. With his drooping eye and malevolent expression, he had to be the creepiest looking young man on the face of the earth. (laughs) He looked like Frankenstein's monster. My daughter was living with Frankenstein's monster. Oh my God. Can you imagine? No, no. Like, it's so abstract. Mm -hmm. And the first time he saw, she saw him on TV, she also saw Nancy on TV because she was at the show, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. like staring up at Sid and just how absolutely fucking abstract that your kid 
has become a part of this movement in London, you know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's they're so far away and you don't really understand what's happening. And you're seeing all these punk kids sort of coming on the scene. And it's just terrifying. Yeah. She said she was just... It was just so baffling to them, these like suburban Jewish family, you know, from (laughs) Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) So not only was Nancy living with Frankenstein's monster, she was also living with Frankenstein's monster's mother Mm -mm. because the two of them had moved in with Sid's mother and Nancy called home constantly begging for money. Mm. A week after Nancy's mother saw Sid on TV for the first time, Sid and Nancy called to announce that they'd gotten married. Mm. They'd moved out of his mother's house after two months and moved into a series of hotels where police had to be called because the couple got into constant violent fights. The British press started to report on these fights, and in one instance, quote, the manager went up to Sid and Nancy's room to find a blood-soaked bed, a near-naked Sid bleeding from cuts on his arms, and broken glass all over the carpet. There was a bottle of pills on the nightstand, and a police inquiry was launched. The Sex Pistols had a short tour in the U.S., and while it didn't go off well, it did bring awareness to the group in the United States. Nancy's wild relationship with Sid also started to catch the attention of the press and fueled the band's wild and unruly reputation. Quote, The press portrayed Sid and Nancy as Romeo and Juliet in black leather, roaring into hell. Sid was seen as a pop star associated with manufactured violence who was living it out for real. Nancy was seen as a coarse tramp who took whatever Sid dished out and gave it right back to him. Together, they were portrayed as the living embodiment of the punk movement. And that is the damn truth. Mm -hmm. Sid and Nancy actually seemed very happy and in love for a while. They traveled together, and Nancy wrote letters home about how happy she was to have found someone and, quote, settled down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she felt like she finally found somebody that she could relate to right totally but to settle down down. specifically (laughs) said i'm so glad i found a boy and settled down it's like you are the literal embodiment of the punk movement your relationship is the poster child for the movement and she's like i'm so happy we settled down So when they returned from traveling, Nancy got an infection in her fallopian tubes and Sid stayed with her the entire time and nursed her back to health. Soon after, things started to go downhill when the Sex Pistols announced that they'd broken up. Sid tried unsuccessfully to launch a solo career, and so the couple soon started to run out of money. They then decided to move to New York to start over, And Debbie described them as the, quote, walking dead when they visited Nancy's family when they returned to the States. Hmm. My eyes welled up reading about Sid and Nancy eating a steak dinner at Nancy's parents' house and how proud she was to show off her family and childhood home to Sid, who was genuinely impressed by all of it. Again, you guys, please read read this book. It's so wild. It's just so wild to think about Sid and Nancy who are, you know, such icons that Mm -hmm. they transcend being human beings and listening to Debbie 
tell about just how fucking weird it was to have them there and all of the strange things they did. Like, you know, Sid was shirtless the entire time wearing a leather jacket and like, (laughs) you know, watching cartoons and like Mm. was obsessed with this one show that came on at 7 p.m. on Saturday. And like, you know, it. Yeah, it's just, it's so fascinating to read. And Sid was like, this house is a fucking palace. Like, I can't believe you grew up in a palace and on and on and on. So at the end of the trip, out of nowhere, Nancy said, quote, I'm going to die very soon before my 21st birthday. I won't live to be 21. I'm never going to be old. I don't ever want to be ugly and old. I'm an old lady now. Anyhow, I'm 80. There's nothing left. I've already lived a whole lifetime. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Sid and Nancy moved into the Chelsea Hotel, and a week later, Sid collapsed and had to be hospitalized. Nancy had decided she'd be Sid's manager, but his career didn't take off in the United States, and the couple fell further into drugs and despair. One night, they passed out and set their mattress on fire, and when the hotel manager rushed up to put the fire out, They said Sid and Nancy were wandering around in a stupor, completely unaware that anything was wrong. Nancy's father visited to drop off some things that Sid had stored at their house, and he reported that the couple seemed barely alive while he was there. They called a couple of weeks later and demanded $3,000. Basically, Nancy was like, I'm really sick, something's wrong with my kidneys, and her mom was like, well, go to the doctor and tell him to bill, bill it to us, and she was like, no, I need money. She was like, no, just go to the doctor and I'll pay for it. And then Sid got on the phone and went absolutely fucking ballistic. Like mm. Nancy was like, or uh, Debbie was like, I'd never, you know, she'd only seen this sort of sweet, doofy, dumb kid. You know, mm-hmm. she said he was just this sort of passive, sweet kid. And then he got on the phone and she, he would just absolutely fucking ape shit. So Nancy called them back later and confessed to her mother that Sid had beaten her when they were in London to the point that her nose had been broken and her ear torn off. Wow. Yep. And she said that he had started beating her again. No. She asked her mother if she could help get them into a treatment facility and her mother agreed. So Debbie didn't hear from her daughter for a few days after that. And then on October 12th, 1978, She received the call that Nancy had been found stabbed to death under a sink in her room at the Chelsea Hotel. Mm. Sid was arrested for the murder, and according to the police report, he had passed out after taking a depressant the night before and woke up at 10.50 a.m. Nancy was not in the bed with him, but the bed was covered in blood, and the trail of blood went into the bathroom. Nancy was in her underwear on the floor under the sink and had bled to death after being stabbed in the stomach. Her body had been found after someone called the front desk of the hotel to report that they should check their room because someone inside was seriously injured. Hmm. Authorities weren't sure if Sid had made the call or not. Hotel employees found signs of a struggle in the room and Sid was not there when they arrived but returned a couple of minutes later. Neighbors in the hotel heard Sid telling the police that they couldn't arrest him because he was a, quote, rock and roll star. Mm. A friend of the couple had been out with them until 4 a.m. that night and said that Nancy had begged her to come back to the hotel with them because Sid was, quote, acting strange and had pressed a hunting knife against Nancy's throat. Mm. 
The friend also reported that he, quote, beats her with the guitar every so often, but I didn't think he was going to kill her. No. Police claimed Sid immediately confessed to killing Nancy when they arrived, but he later pled not guilty to the murder. His bail was set at $50,000 that he had to pay in full, and he said he wanted to pay it immediately so he could attend Nancy's funeral. Luckily, he didn't manage to get the money together in time and did not attend the funeral. Sid's mother, as well as Sid, called Debbie to express how sorry they were and to claim that Sid had not killed Nancy. (laughs) After the funeral, strangers and the press absolutely hounded Nancy's family, and her younger brother David recalled watching an SNL skit with some friends he'd just met, and they howled with laughter as the actors portrayed Sid Vicious and, quote, nauseating Nancy, as she'd come to be known. Johnny Carson also made jokes on his show about the murdered 20-year-old. I, um, oh, God. I'm having, like, bad chills in my legs right now. I I don't know how to describe it. It's just, like, uh, it's sort of, it's reminding me of my reaction to Mia Farrow and Woody Allen. And when you look back, I think part of my reaction is my own understanding of what happened was completely wrong. And you, you were always taught or whatever, like the media portrayed it, that she was complicit somehow. And I've never I guess I never really knew the details. I knew that she had died. But I didn't. I didn't know the details. I thought it was heroin overdose yeah she somehow was involved or egged him on or um, right you know she was always the cause of it somehow in my mind exactly and so yep i'm disgusted with myself for not knowing and for others for feeding into that and poor nancy and poor god i cannot imagine being her family no, and that's why I wanted to tell the story because it popped into my head. I read her book I, fucking years ago, I think when I was in college, and it really stuck with me on so many levels, like the nature versus nurture aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I found really interesting, and I think about it a lot when I'm covering cases. And, you know, how I say, I think some people just come out bad, you know, or mm-hmm. like something happens. And, you know, Nancy always pops into my head because she was the product of a such an average home you know Mm -hmm. with such loving parents like could not be more loving or supportive and you know admit to having made mistakes but I mean she she couldn't have had a better support system and yeah she's such a you know I think I we talk about this a lot but the way we treat celebrity is so unfair you know Mm -hmm. it's so it's like because you're famous, you deserve something bad to happen to you, or you deserve our ire, or you know, because you're famous, like you, you don't have feelings or right, needs yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And that's such a strange thing that we do to people. And then you think about Amy Winehouse, and you think about these people who have absolutely, you know, Justin Bieber, like people who have crumbled under their. Uh, celebrity, which is Mm -hmm. most celebrities, you know, I think some of them just have better support systems than others. But then, you know, take that a step above to Sid and Nancy. And they are, you know, they're like fictional characters, I think, to most people. It's like Thelma and Louise, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, Sid and Nancy, like, 
Thelma and Louise are fictional characters, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we have turned Sid and Nancy into these fictional type characters, but they were very, very real people. So it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I just think it's such an interesting insight to read her mother's book. Absolutely. And to learn that she was just a victim of domestic violence and her yeah. abuser killed her. Yep. Debbie received a letter from Sid soon after where he professed his undying love for Nancy and her family, talked about how much pain she had suffered in her life, and said that he knew he would also die too because he couldn't live without her. Eleven days after Nancy died, Sid tried to kill himself by slashing his wrists with a broken light bulb and jumping out of a hotel window. He He was committed. He hadn't been arrested yet. He had, but he posted bail. So oh, he, he did. He did okay. come up. Yeah, yeah. He was so he able was to, just not in Correct. time for her funeral. Correct. Yes, okay. exactly. So after his suicide attempt, he was committed to Bellevue and called Nancy's mother to beg her to come visit him while he was there. God. He's, you know, he sent her a letter a couple of days later and continued to outline his love for Nancy and the lengths he would have gone to for her. And all these letters are in the book, too. Sid was jailed in December after cutting the face of rocker Todd Smith, who was Patty Smith's brother, with a broken beer bottle. He was released from prison in February and proceeded to go out and party with some friends to celebrate. In the course of the night, he took too much heroin, OD'd, and died. Debbie has come to the conclusion that Sid likely killed her daughter because she asked him to. She thinks that Nancy was tired of being in pain and asked Sid to end her life knowing he loved her in such a desperate and dysfunctional way that he would follow through with it. Which is also like such a complicated and thoughtful conclusion to come to, you know? And when you read her processing of the letters that Sid wrote her, you know, she just has this like understanding of their dynamic and even more so an understanding of her daughter and like what would have led up to her passing. Mm -hmm. So some people have speculated that they had a suicide pact and Sid passed out or simply couldn't follow through with it. Other people thought that Sid's bodyguard rockets red glare (laughs) got, (laughs) I mean, that's a really good bodyguard. name. They think he got caught trying to steal money or drugs from the couple and stabbed Nancy to cover it up. Regardless, two troubled young people were dead at 20 and 21, and the world was not kind to them or their families before or after. Debbie said in her memoir, quote, I'm not saying that Nancy's life would have turned out differently if I knew then what I know now. Chances are she still would have ended up in an institution or prison or dead, but we would have been aware of what we were getting into. Maybe we would have found a place for her somewhere she could have had her books and her records. Hmm. I don't know why this case gets me. <laughs> it's like, I don't know why it has such an effect on me. I just feel so sad for them. She said, maybe the wounds inflicted on us would not have cut so deep or taken so long to mm-hmm. heal. And that, my darlings, is the tragic life and death of Nancy Spungen. <laughs> no. Oh. I know. I wish we could have that kind of insight into 
I, I think I'm a little preoccupied with understanding the true stories of celebrities, you know, like I've mentioned the Justin Bieber YouTube series, mm-hmm. <laughs> seasons or whatever it's called, you know, but it's such a, I think it's such an important thing to check in with. And especially, you know, doing true crime in general, it's so easy to become removed from these stories and these people. Yes. And then even more so if we're talking about famous people and this like explosive sort of controversial death and like exactly what you said. I mean, mm-hmm. You watch the movies of them, and it's just like, Sid, I'm crazy. Whoa, stabby, stabby. Totally. You know, like, yeah. She didn't get a chance. She never. There aren't a lot of people who love her for reasons that she deserves to be loved. They only loved her because she was this, like, wild, crazy icon. Punk rock icon. Yeah. So there you go, everybody. Mm. Love your, Love your babies and. Be kind to each other and Seriously. try to suspend judgment because you never fucking know what right. is going on with somebody. You never we'll just, know. Yeah, staying connected to that humanity. Everybody's mm-hmm. got that side. and Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's not the same at all, but I think I watch TikTok a lot and the mega influencers and like these young, mostly very young women who've been, who have millions of followers on TikTok and it's, that's just crushing them. And it's a different sort of celebrity. You know, I think in some ways it's worse because you don't get a break. These people are putting in their lives out there or their children or whoever, but like, yeah, it's just having to, I guess, being careful with those boundaries. And I think about that a lot for them. Yeah. You know, just how do you protect yourself and um, on a much lesser scale, but even for us, like putting ourselves out there and we're not celebrities (laughs) by any means, but like um, when we get mean comments or reviews or whatever, it's just like, you don't, people don't think that about it, like that we are real people, Yeah, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. and so take that times a billion. Exactly. constant scrutiny constant Mm -hmm. feedback yeah and people really don't think about what that means to somebody else they really Mm -hmm. don't no they can't conceive of it because they're not in the spotlight or they don't have that sort of haven't had that sort of experience and you know even people i vehemently dislike i'm sure if i could take a peek into donald trump's childhood Mm -hmm. my heart would explode into 20 billion trillion pieces right Right. It doesn't justify him or his actions in any sense because he's a truly dis- destructive human being. But I'm sure baby Donald Trump needed a lot more love and care and compassion and like a fuck ton of things that he didn't get, you know? Absolutely. 100%. So, not to be a Donald Trump sympathizer <laughs> at all, even a little bit. <laughs> no. For one second. But, I can, but yeah. you know, like. When you Both think things about... can be true. That Donald Trump's yes. baby Donald Trump needed <laughs> love, more love and that he's a terrible human being now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then, yeah, somebody who, like Nancy, who didn't, you know, she had crazy behavior and um, she did plenty of things wrong, I'm sure. But ultimately, she didn't do anything to the world. You know, she didn't mm-hmm. actively engage in espionage or something mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. she she was just ca- kind of crazy but then right. she had a family she had a life people who loved her who suffered for her mm-hmm. massively so mm-hmm. yeah my heart yeah. goes out to the people who don't who aren't heard who are mm-hmm. blamed who have these 
beautiful children who have no place to go and no, you know, there's just no real route for them. There's mm-hmm. not a place for them in this world. So right. I hope that before Nancy died, when she was in Paris and she was having such a lovely time with Sid, that she got to be truly, mm-hmm. God, why am I so attached <laughs> to her? Truly happy before yeah. her passing. You're totally her sister in another life or something. It's weird. I think it's her mom. I think her mom, yeah. I just, her writing is I, just the way she wrote that book. It really affected me. It really did. It's really good. Rereading it to write this. I was like, man, it's just so interesting. So I want to read it. It's good only like it. 300 pages. It's a quick, it's a quick, quick I can, afternoon. I, can do that I was going to say, I can do that in the <laughs> yeah. No, okay. Well, the yeah. only thing that you can possibly go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I just the it made me think of a book that I read. I, I think I had a similar reaction, but a very in a different way. Yeah, um, it's called A Mother's Reckoning, and it's the it's a book written by Sue Klebold, whose son was one of the shooters in Columbine. <gasps> right, right. Ooh. And it's the same. Like it's not the same because I mean it's not the same at all. But it's. Like a, a mother willing to pour her heart and soul out into this book about her son who was a yeah. shooter in a mass school shooting. Yeah. Um, and I, it's one of those books that lives rent free in my head. I think mm-hmm. about it all the time and how, you know, same same thing as far as he had these amazing parents. Yep. Who loved him so much and supported him and thought he was totally fine and up to the point where they understood she got the call that there was a shooting at Columbine and she was so terrified for her son's life. Oh my God. And never, never thought, oh my God, it could have been him. You know, she never, ever couldn't believe it when she was told. Um, She just didn't know that he had a friendship with another guy. And, you know, it's just, ugh. Yeah. So it's, but it's an incredible book. Yeah, I have chills so, over my whole body, it. and I might just have mm-hmm. to sit here and com- comfy stare because the weight of thinking about being these people's mothers is yeah massive, massive. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, in better news, um, we have two new rat babies in our family. Sadie got some rats, just, guys, and my We're... children named them Cornelius and Nugget. It's so so cute. <laughs> so cute and uh there was no changing their minds and that was fine Mm um yeah for a minute it was gonna be coco and melon for coco melon and i'm really glad that got changed yeah Yeah. (laughs) well good for you for i mean i think cornelius and nugget are perfectly legitimate no it's so cute so cute yes yeah um and speaking of names yeah give us some news guess what time it is it's name time uh so we got a rusty johnson whoa better get that checked out (laughs) that's not that's not good nope okay let's see if i can if i can put this one together a scientist named rut txera Texera, T E I X E I R A, Texera. Anyway, Rut, Texera. <laughs> if you're a scientist wow. and it requires science, 
to say your right. name, you are a Sierra extra good scientist. <laughs> My nephew, we, Laura's nephew, our nephew, um, stayed with us last week and we took him to the arcade and he won this like sticky, um, squeezy stress frog thing. And it was sticky, mm. so you threw it against the wall and it would stick. And that thing stayed sticky for like four days straight. And he kept saying, yeah, it's some kind of science material. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I don't know, made of some kind of science material. <laughs> um, there's someone named Ms. Cakebread. Oh, my God. Ooh, the Royal Doll Book. Uh. There's a victim of a swindler named Mike Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Someone's daughter's gymnastic teacher is named Candy Barr. Married name oh. Candy Barr. My God, that's a good one. Yep. Well, a couple people sent these to us um, on Instagram. There's a British police officer named Rob Banks. <laughs> <laughs> There's a white supremacist named Don Black. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a Catholic priest named Jamie Sin. And that person later got promoted to Cardinal. And so they were Cardinal Sin. No. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. The president and CEO of Food for the Poor, I, I kid you not, is Robin Mafood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's God. an ophthalmologist named I.C. Notting. <laughs> Oh, my God. Those, both of those just made me smack my knee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, there was a PI hired by Scientology to spy on Rupert Murdoch named Rex Beaver. <laughs> and just generally, somebody was in a conversation with their friend about somebody local to their town with the last name Mick Annally or Annally, M C A N A L L Y. I'm assuming it's McAnally, but McAnally. Anything with Mick in front of it is mm-hmm. hilarious, and mm-hmm. then tack Annally onto the end of it, and mm-hmm. we have a winner. Everyone, perfect, amazing. Done. Thank you guys for the names. Oh boy, it just never gets old. Really, truly, never gets old. Ever gets old? No, it never does. Um, real quick, uh, in the recommendations category, two things I watched this weekend, um, Blackbird, I'm a little bit behind on that one on Apple TV, mm-hmm. oh, A++, I plus. Apple TV. I need to get, get it. it, you should get it, oh my god, you're missing out on Ted Lasso, you're missing out mm-hmm. on Severance, Blackbird, but Blackbird, okay, I need to get it. excellente, it's so good. Is it a it's- movie or a... Series. series it's a okay. series about a guy who goes to it's a true story about a guy a kid who goes to jail uh for drug dealing and takes a plea deal to get out of jail if he can convince a serial killer to tell him where one of these bodies one of his bodies Ooh. is buried it's so good and all of the killings happened like around where i live so that made it <sighs> extra creepy yep okay it, I'm sure I could just like do a free trial. It's worth Catch it. Catch up. Go. Yeah. Okay. It was worth it. We devoured it. And it's the actor that played um, 
Elton John in the Elton John movie, mm. who I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I didn't really love that. I mean, the movie's fine, but he was fantastic, and he's so good in this movie. All the acting was great. Watch it. Great. You know what else is great? I, wait, real quick. What? I, I finished the 18th season of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, my God. Recently. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Came on Netflix. <laughs> So I'm all caught up and I started it. So I want, I mean, for those of you who have been following my comfort show saga, I watched 17 seasons in a row in like a a shockingly quick amount of time. Two and a half months or something. And, uh, and then I had to take a break because there wasn't any more. And then the new season came on and I was like, okay, fine. It's been probably six months or so, maybe more. And the first episode was so bad. And I was like, what did I ever, why did I ever yeah. watch all of these? By the end of the season, I was crying. Of course I was crying. Yep. And so into it. And I hate myself for it. It's Don't. really garbage. Just love and I yourself. love it. Ugh. So Ryan, I finally would just watch on my laptop with headphones on because he couldn't stand to hear it <laughs> in the background. And I would get mad at him. I'd be like, I just like the show and I need you to stop. And he, I was like, I understand it's terrible. I know that it's bad. I understand. But I'm really invested. So you have to stop. <laughs> oh, my God. Everybody's got their comfort uh, show. I Sadies know. So I started Shit's Creek for like the fifth time. That's what oh, I'm watching yeah. right now. Yeah, we started Ted Lasso all over again when yeah. Laura's nephew is here because he just lives in Spain. So he's all about the football. Um, uh-huh. Oh, it's so good. It's so. It was even better. It has been even better the second time around. Okay, I gotta do it. You'll and love it. I can it. just watch the Billie Eilish Lasso. documentary whenever. Yeah, I yeah. There's a lot of good. There are lots of good shows on there. There's another okay. one called Surface we're watching right now, which is pretty good. It's not amazing, but yeah, that's a. It's okay. a good one to get in there for a while and okay. binge it all. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. All right. You know what else is speaking great? Speaking of binging. <laughs> Awkward transition, <laughs> masters. Uh, th- thank you to our patrons. Yes, we support us very much. We finally raised our prices after threatening to do it for like three months. So now, <laughs> good it God, it is official. Yeah, the bottom tier is five dollars, up from three dollars, and then seven dollars, and then ten and twenty is still the same. But there is now officially a one dollar option for getting our main feed episodes only. So it does not give mm-hmm. you bonus content, but it does give you the main feed episodes without ads. So if you are sick of ads after two episodes, mm-hmm. um, go over there, pay $1, and you can get our main feed episodes That's without right. advertisements. And if you are a current Patreon right now, yep. nothing will change for you. If you leave us yep. for some reason and come back, you'll have to pay the higher price. Yeah. But if you don't, you just stick with us, you will continue to pay three or five dollars yep your grandfather did you pay forever forever don't leave us but who has joined us <laughs> who has not left us who has joined us well, let's give a shouty out so much to l right yeah you're l right you know you're l right you're l right and you are out of sight and you might want to say to yourself I'm not full of spite. I am all right. And I'm also out of sight. And I'm also full of mighty power. (laughs) Yes. 
Thank you so much to Renee P. Renee, pass me the evidence of how you became so great in this life. (laughs) Pass it right over to me so I can study it. Take it apart and get to know what makes you tick. Because I want to know about it because you're the shit. And I want to see how you became it. And when I say it, (laughs) I mean the shit. (laughs) Thanks. I also want to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to Chelsea K. Chelsea K. Come on over tonight and tell me what you are thinking about. And you're gonna say something cool like I'm thinking about the Renaissance period. (laughs) Or when the Mesopotamia broke off from something else that I don't know. Because I don't know about science or geography. But you do, so you're gonna tell me. Because you're so smart. Get it? Because you're so smart. Oh, shit. Uh, Thank you so much to Emily K. Emily, can you tell me how you do it? What do I do? She says, you do the thing that makes me feel so crazy because you're so cool and you are so fabulous. And she says, I can tell you, but you might not be able to absorb the power that I'm about to lay in front of your feet. And so you're going to have to do some workouts to your brain and your heart and your soul and emotions to be able to process everything I am about. You know, sometimes you got to warn people, like, you're going to have to do some mental and physical calisthenics if you're going to handle the shit that I'm about to lay upon you. That's so true. So true. Okay, one more. Last but certainly not least, thank you so much to Jade M. Jade, come on, everybody with a name like Jade, come on down and tell me why you're so cool. (laughs) Why do you get to be named something like Jade? It's a very expensive gem. I believe it's a gemstone and it's so beautiful, just like the Jade of all the time. (laughs) She's a member of all time. She spans all of time, <laughs> and there is no beginning or end to Jade, and that's the end of this rhyme. <laughs> good work, Courtney. Thanks. It's a good batch, man. Kind of like a Moody Blues sort of inspired, it felt like a little bit, like yes. a, the Who, like maybe a little yeah. bit of the Who going on in there, <laughs> yes. like, like a pinball wizard or something happening tonight. <laughs> Ball wizard. <laughs> right. Woo. I'm Woo. exhausted. I'm all cried out. I'm, I do have to tell you guys one quick story because this yes. shit is so funny to me. So um, I highly recommend, I cannot recommend this enough. If you want to like spend a little bit of money on yourself on something that you will love forever and it'll change your life in a better way, highly recommend dry body oil. It's just so much better than lotion. It's hydrating. It smells good, etc. So, 
I am running out of the dry oil I have currently. It's like, okay, but not the best. And so every time I need a new dry oil, I go in search of a new one because they all also, for some fucking reason, smell like citrus. Every single dry mm-hmm. oil is like orange blossom. And mm-hmm. I don't know why they all like big dry oil got together and was like, that's all we can give the people. But anyway. Right. Big dry oil. Like, like they're like, it's like when all the stations play commercials at the same time. So you won't change the stations, right? And when you right, do, you right, just right. get commercials on other stations. Mm-hmm. Feels like that. It's like, no, don't try to find a different fragrance. It's just all, all orange same. blossom. Yeah. So anyway, I swear to God, I swore over this weekend, Friday, I was like, God, where is that dry oil? I swear I like researched, I went online, I did a ton of research and I looked around until I found something that looked like affordable and had good reviews and didn't just have orange blossom in the fucking flavor profile or whatever it's called, the scent (laughs) profile. So it had been, I was like, I feel like that was a couple of weeks ago. It's still not here. And so I went through my emails, like meticulously looking for confirmation email of the sale, you know, mm-hmm. or like a shipping, shipping information. I didn't see anything. So I was like, well, shit, I guess I've, I guess I just like researched and got kind of frustrated and gave up. Right. So mm-hmm. I go back through and I research for like an hour and I find this dry oil and it's got like hints of vetiver and ylang ylang and stuff that I really like kind of spicy slightly woody you know great not orange blossom great reviews good price point I buy it I wake up the next morning and at like 10 or 11 a.m I get a fucking FedEx package and it's this dry oil and I was Uh like holy fuck and I'm like who is this company like I ordered that at 11 p.m on a Friday 12 was hours later <laughs> at my house by 11 a.m on a saturday on the weekend i'm like who has that kind of fulfillment i didn't order it from amazon you know i ordered it from <laughs> right? some like online beauty company and so i searched back through my emails i searched that co- specific company name and i had ordered i had researched come around to and found this exact same body wow. oil two weeks previous <laughs> ordered it forgot about it apparently deleted (laughs) any record that i had purchased it and then spent another whole hour of my life on the path right back to the same exact fucking body oil isn't that so weird and then like glitched my own self i was like glitched in the matrix what happened you did yeah. It was it was you in a different dimension who ordered it and then the timeline shifted and now you get to have two body oils. Right. Precisely. Exactly. And right. you like brought in all of the political stuff that we're so thrilled about recently and like yes. <laughs> that you glitched it, it all glitched together. You get body oils, I get rats, exactly. we get some justice. Exactly. In yes. In the United States right now. Exactly yeah. right. No, it's crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy. So yeah, I'm loving this timeline. I'm telling you guys, the like portal opened up or whatever, and mm-hmm. we jumped right back to the good timeline. We really that's did. Right. CERNs. CERNs started yes, up Yes, that's again. what it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, CERN started up, and I was like, send me back to the best possible timeline. And on this timeline, Trump's getting indicted. Mm-hmm. There's espionage. Mm-hmm. Alex Jones. I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. it fucking worked, right? Yeah. Money for climate change in America for the first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Okay. When did the, what? 
<laughs> really? When that yeah. bell passed, I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I yep. didn't see that coming. Yep. Yep. Yes. It's good shit. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm glad to be on this timeline. Really glad to be here with all of you. And yes. um, if you want to spend more time with me, you can always find me <laughs> and my sister. <laughs> No, and our cases on Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at They Will Kill. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com. You can email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, subscribe to us, please. Yes, please, please send nice reviews. Please send nice reviews. And thank you to AJ Bergantz for our music. Thank you so much, AJ. And remember, um, I don't know, just remember to say, show me how good it gets. I've also been saying, show me how good it gets. And I tell you what, guys, it's getting really fucking good. So mm-hmm. just say it, believe it. And um, hopefully really cool shit will happen to you because it's been happening Seriously. to me. Seriously. Namely you guys. And we love you so we much. We love you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you really soon. We'll see you soon. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.